This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is Nabil Mahmood from Hawaii. Philip Koblenz from Brooklyn, New York. And David Bartholomew here from beautiful Lincoln, Nebraska. David, thank you for joining us, Nomad Futurist. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm the uh, Chief Operating Officer with Archer Data Centers. We're building a data center in Nashville, Tennessee, outside of the metro. Uh, and Gallatin is the actual city where we're, where we're building. Got to this place in a roundabout way. I've been in the, the data business, I guess we can say, back uh, when we, the way we shared data were through books. I worked for the... Uh, Bell South Advertising and Publishing, and we had uh, probably the best data collection of uh, individuals and businesses and, and whatnot, and we put, a, put out a book once a year uh, that uh, the yellow pages, the white pages, you know, and the, uh, the way I kind of progressed into this uh, data center role was through, through that. Always, always been an early adopter with technology. Uh, my first computer was a, was a video console, a little Atari unit. And so being in business, I found a lot of applications. I, uh, my degree was in accounting, focused on getting into uh, business. At the end of college, I started to look into coding and they were teaching things like COBOL and Fortran. And that just didn't seem where I, where I wanted to go. So uh, to shorten the story a little, little bit here, the yellow pages, you could tell it was declining. The internet was, uh, was coming into play. A friend of mine and I, a coworker, we went to uh, to the headquarters of, of our region of uh, Bell South back at the time, which, which was in Dayton, Ohio, spoke to the, the president of our operating company and a lot of uh, executives there. And we uh, saw this, uh, the idea that our business was going to be supplanted, you know, the way of sharing this information. And little by little, we, we could see this thing coming, but it was a slow, kind of a slow death of that industry. Their answers at the time were that we wanted, they wanted to be fast followers on the, uh, the internet. So that, that didn't really work out not so well. That left a good void for uh, the companies that did ultimately run the internet and are still in place today, the big hyperscale type guys that we work with in our data center industry uh, that, that opened the door for, for their sharing of information. So, so through that, always had an interest in, in that as the Yellow Pages started to, uh, to, to fade away, got into the uh, data center business, wanted to stay in publishing because there was a connection there. So I went to work for a company called uh, uh, Sand Hills Publishing, where we had a, had a magazine called Processor Magazine, and it uh, sold all the bits and pieces that went into uh, data centers, all the different uh, mechanical units, the things that, uh, facilities type things more than anything. So that's where I gained uh, some information on data centers, went into uh, asset recycling, you know, after several years there and staying in the data center line. And, and in that case, we worked with Lincoln, Nebraska here, worked with some of the big Fortune 500 companies that were in Nebraska on their asset uh, disposal and kind of end of life asset management. And ultimately went to the state of Nebraska where, where uh, the state was making a focus of recruiting data centers to locate in Nebraska through tax incentives and uh, just the natural site attributes that would come into play there. And we were quite successful with that. Brought a couple enterprise data centers in, large enterprise data centers, followed by 
several of the hyperscalers to where now Omaha's become uh, the Omaha Metro. It's become quite a hub, you know, for uh, for the large campus type data centers. After uh, leaving the, the the state after about seven eight years, went into a, a consulting business where I met my my partner now Jordan Millman, early clients, and we decided to go out and build our own company based on the premise of putting uh, data centers in markets like Omaha that are secondary markets, not in this, uh, what they call the NFL cities of the internet. After doing a nationwide search, we settled on Nashville and now we're under construction. So did you ever actually pursue COBOL further or (laughs) was that just more of a high level intro and you did not pursue it any further? No, I know it's still in place. I mean, I know there's a friend of mine in my my golf league, maybe just retired from the state of risk, but they use Cobalt to this day. I think so. My interest in it has been the fact that it's still, uh, I didn't want to get into the nuts and bolts of of actually being a coder, but I do realize that with some of these languages, they've been part of the uh, slowed approach of companies adopting current technologies and current languages and, uh, you know, coding languages because they have so much invested in proprietary software that they have to continue to fix things in languages like, like COBOL. Well, there was actually yeah. a current a story recently where like the New Jersey unemployment office had a request for COBOL programmers to come and try to fix their antiquated unemployment system because it was completely overloaded with uh, increased submissions with, with, with what's going on right now. So yeah, COBOL, there. COBOL, COBOL is still very much alive. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they're not alone. You know, I just read an article this morning where Nebraska uh, signed a big contract with Nelnet, who is a student loan processor as uh, their primary business, and they needed the uh, they needed to off outsource the uh, unemployment applications, and that was the the role they they subcontracted out to Nelnet, where that wasn't anything remotely like their business, but it's something they had the technology in place to scale up, where the state could not. Yeah, part of the challenge is COBOL is an antiquated language, like Bill just said as well. New Jersey was a great example. Then you had the Department of Unemployment is a great example that they have a platform that's about 20, 30 years old. Not necessarily we're trying to age ourselves over here, but that actually raises some challenges. And those challenges we see today, whereby we don't have those resources anymore. We don't have the people that had that skill set or the language or the platform is actually kind of dissipated in some way, form or shape creating more challenges. So from a technologist perspective, they got to be able to keep up with time and change. Otherwise, issues like this are going to come up on an ongoing basis. Now the capacity that you're in as a chief operating officer and a partner in a data center company, what are your thoughts about the curve of migration? Well, I think this uh, this current situation we find ourselves in is demonstrating the need to scale your IT infrastructure very quickly, but not permanently. I mean, these things like we just discussed with the spike in unemployment applications, they're not gonna be a, uh, uh, a item that's in demand for these entities. Hopefully, hopefully we're not seeing the kind of unemployment applications we're seeing now. But these are examples where the cloud is uh, is very important. I mean, the, the type of, uh, Migration I see overall is a is a progressive a progression from where we are now, which uh, 
I still see, hear the number kicked out that about 60% of uh, data centers are still on-premises within, uh, within companies. Uh, I do see that declining because companies are shifting loads to the uh, public cloud, to the major cloud providers. However, there are certain things, as we've, we've discussed, that companies are going to, for a while, uh, want to keep control, more control of that, of that data in uh, their own operations. It could be some of these proprietary programs, could be things run on mainframes, things that don't just lend themselves well to, to the cloud. So I think this uh, hybrid approach is what, we're, is what we're seeing. So I think our business as a data center operator will, uh, will continue to see, uh, it'll, we'll, we'll, we'll see tenants that'll, that'll be companies that are currently doing things on premises. They're, they're not scaled properly. They either have a spike in, in demand for their business where they need to scale up a little bit. In most cases, they're scaled too far you know they built they built with the idea they needed to grow and they're finding themselves using a fourth to you know a half of their capacity at most and the rest of their uh, their capacity is just is just stranded so that's the progression i see what what percentage that becomes for uh, uh, enterprises still doing say wholesale co-location which is our core business versus uh ones that when i use managed services or uh or uh, even public cloud type type things and have those work well together. Uh, who knows? You know that's the future. But a data center is going to be needed to serve to serve either of those. And data centers, I believe, are going to need to be set to serve each market. You know, the edge is what we're what we're talking about here. Each market will be uh, will uh, need to have a certain scale of compute power and, and internet connectivity based on its own size. Uh, as opposed to the current model where everything is located in five or six cities because that's the only the only locations where uh, companies can get the right kind of economics. I mean, right right now, when you, you go into some of these underserved markets like a, a Nashville, Omaha, just to name a couple that, I've, that I'm very, well, very familiar with, we're still paying retail pricing for co-location space. And when companies like, say, ConAgra here in, uh, in Omaha when they decided they really didn't need their two megawatt data center in Omaha, they moved their 300 KW load into uh, a wholesale cloud solution in Chicago because that solution did not exist in, uh, in Omaha. Others, I think Mutual Omaha, not sure where they stand right now in their final, final decision, but I believe they were, they very much wanted to stay local. And I believe they were able to negotiate uh, uh, terms with one of the providers that would be a wholesale uh, type lease have the wholesale economics, and uh, that was good for them because companies do like to keep the the team together. They have most of their employees, and they're also also just some. I don't know what you, if you'd want to call it latency or improvement or what have you, but just having your uh, your compute compute close to where your customers or your employees are is still an important thing. Right, because the last mile that really matters. Right, um, David and I met when he was in Nebraska, uh, trying to bring 
larger enterprise into Nebraska, such as Facebook, Google, and a few others for that matter. So that's that's where we actually ended up becoming friends. David, you mentioned uh, a couple of very interesting things, right? The slow death of yellow pages. We briefly talked about the COBOL language, which is, again, a slow death of that language and that platform. You also talked about migration from on-prem. Again, that really means in layman terms, people having their own data centers and competing computing platforms at home uh, versus a migration to cloud whether it be public or private cloud, and then you talk about edge. Are you of the belief that on-prem solutions or on-prem computing is probably going to dissipate in, in the near future? Is that going to be the slow death of people managing their own data in their on-premises? I think in their on-premises, certainly. I think they'll, uh, they will want to have it close by. But one of the things that I'm, that I'm studying, trying to understand better, is this relationship between uh, DevOps and uh, and facilities. You and I were, we were going to speak on a panel to that at one time about how these groups communicate. And so I think that doesn't have to be in the same building for that good communications to take place, but being in the same, same city is, uh, is useful as opposed to being so, uh, so, so remote. The performance will be better in this, those cases. So I think companies that really want to maintain control uh, of what they're doing, they, they won't necessarily build in their facility, there's a hospital, for example, that has a, a huge data center in the basement of their of the hospital premises. That's not not ideal uh, for uh, for a lot of things. It's very ideal for that hospital, you know, for the things that are just because it's a bulletproof data center. I mean, it's backed up in every way possible and cogen on plant that sort of thing. That just has everything it needs, but it's just not the not the right place or location to change technology. It's not the right place you know, for that. But the people and the talent they have in terms of the facilities and the relationships with their uh, uh, DevOps teams and that sort of thing, you know, they want to continue that. They want to keep the talent that they have. So our whole business premise is on the, on the idea that these guys will ultimately move into a facility such as ours. I think in general, there's, um, there's always been a conflation between you know, the word on-premise data center and whether you know, that, that's conflated with what a co-location or retail data center is, and which is some kind of it's conflated with what wholesale uh, data centers are, which in some cases store or, or host large cloud deployments and whatnot. And I think it's an interesting distinction for those of our listeners that, that are around um, our world to, to make sure it's clear that those are not necessarily, you know, one versus the other. So when, when we say that there's you know, potentially a decline in on-premise data center usage, that distinction of on-premise data center meaning critical infrastructure that ho- that's hosted within a particular corporate office uh, infrastructure or a hospital versus the flexibility, the economies of scale, that sort of thing that you get from being in a retail or wholesale data center that's designed for multi-tenancy, that's designed to, to encapsulate the, the varying levels of power redundancy and, uh, you know, security resilience and compliance and, and all those things. And to the extent that a particular application or a particular workload makes more sense within controlled environment where you can, you know, go point to physically where that data is hosted, either because it is, you know, uber secure or is on, you know, a more traditional set of resources that are more difficult to, to deploy within, within the cloud is, an interesting kind of nuanced uh, look at the death of the on-premise data center as, you know, a, a common theme across all these panels that I'm sure you guys have been on. 
versus the idea that that David mentioned with with hybrid, where you know you would deploy within the data center and then maybe effectively interconnect to a cloud provider and and create an approach where the workloads that lend themselves towards that um, environment are are able to to live in their little worlds. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, right? But the, the challenge that I foresee is the death of the data center on on-prem is not going to happen. I was looking at some numbers last night, $234 billion globally spent in the data center marketplace with a compound annual growth rate projected right now in the current state of the union at 16.7%. These are immaculate numbers. And the reason for that is because more, more applications are coming into play whereby more data is needed. You've got IoT and other connected platforms that are requiring access of data. So there's going to be a significant move into the cloud, the colo, the, the wholesale retail business, but there's going to be applications that are gonna to have to be kept on-prem. And that's going to address the last mile. That's going to potentially end up being those edge deployments as well. And also, I believe that as you move forward in time, and again, it's human nature, every decade we go centralized computing and decentralized computing, we come up with cloud or not to cloud, we come up with edge and micro edge or whatever the case might be, right? I mean, we are great in marketing and term, terminologies, but I believe the, the on-prem is, is going to stay to a certain degree whereby it's going to potentially host mission critical applications purely based on what that business needs and requirements are. It's not ever going to be 100% cloud. It's never going to be 100% colo or wholesale or retail business focus as we move forward. In my opinion, some of the driving factors, and David, please add and expand onto it, it's all associated with finance at the end of the day. As much as computing is relevant and important, the driving factor in a lot of cases for a lot of executives is the financial impact, finance decision, and how quickly can they see ROI on it? Yeah, I agree. And, and just to clarify, I guess there's, uh, I'm talking two different types of, uh, by on-premises, I'm, I'm talking places where companies have built their own discrete data centers in, in a separate building. I'm not, I'm not talking about what's in a, uh, a hospital or a bank at their headquarters where there will always be need for a data center, you know, in those cases, in their, in their buildings. There'll, there'll always be that need, I believe, because that's going to become the central connection point of what's going on there to their connectivity to the rest of the, uh, the rest of the world. So there will be, and some of that data will be, you know, need to be processed there locally. What I'm talking about more, what I see that the, the death of is the discrete a separate data center where a company that's in, we'll just keep, we'll stay with these two industries we're discussing, the uh, hospital and hospitals and banking, healthcare and banking. They need, if they have a, uh, the desire to build more capacity and they don't have room clearly, you know, in their, in their core facility, if it's say where they're, where they also have their office building or they're not going to go out and build a one megawatt data center, two megawatt data center, heaven for heaven forbid, a, an eight megawatt data center. We had these, uh, enterprise companies in, in Omaha building what they were planning initially to be eight megawatt deals. The two I have in mind perhaps are serving less than a megawatt right now. So they have a lot of stranded capacity there, plus stranded expense because they built out for this type of uh, load. Company owned maybe a better way to describe it than on-premises, a case where a company is going to make the capital investment in generators and all the things that go into a, uh, you know, have. So that's two different things maybe, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about yourself. It's, it's a great story, how you started, where you ended up, what you're doing now. Uh, the yellow pages are gone. 
I can only imagine some of our listeners don't even know what the yellow pages are. I believe it. All right. I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and for those of the for those, for those of them that, that for those of you that don't know, that's literally where you would go to look up someone's address or someone's phone number or maybe where you know what kind of company you would use for for plumbing or or whatever you needed. That was it. You had this big yellow thing and a big white thing. It was a white pages and a yellow pages. The yellow pages was the commercial version. And that's how I learned to drive a car was, you know, my father let me sit on top of a yellow page so I could reach the zero. Um, uh, no, you can do that virtually, no. Phil. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these, so, uh, these books were here. They were just for a city the size of Lincoln. I mean, our, uh, our yellow pages was a, a four inch thick book uh, that came out once a year. And little by little, it's funny, they still deliver them. You know, now they're little pamphlets that are uh, bound. It's it's. It's sad in some ways, but they've converted to other. But obviously, Mall Bell was, you know, Humpty Dumpty being put back together again because AT and T is clearly a, a prominent player now in the uh, in, in our in our current world. Yeah. So there certainly there certainly has been a transition, right? The yellow pages to online information access, finger information at your fingertips. Sears being the largest catalog business to now Amazon. So it's significantly transitioned, though the core premise of it is the same in a lot of ways. What skill set were you able to develop to get in the data center space that you would recommend the younger generation that's potentially listening to this podcast or, or people that are in different industries that could make be a good asset to be a part of the data center industry? What skill sets have you developed and what would you recommend some of those folks? Critical thinking maybe is the number one you know, item there. And I'm a, I'm a businessman first and foremost. I'm not a technologist. Really. I'm not going to rely on people like you to... Uh, make things happen that I need to happen. But I really have uh, almost an imagination where I don't see limits as to what can be can be done. And I know that may frustrate some some folks that are on the other other side of me asking them to do the uh, the impossible. But it's just thinking through whatever your current solution is for your business. That's you always want to think of your technology. It has to support your business. It has to have a business need for it. I mean, the business of the, uh, the business of the internet right now is advertising. It's, it's really what it is. It is the yellow pages in some ways, if you, if you think about it, what's fueling our, uh, our networks is the growth of a few companies and how they have, uh, you know, built out networks to share this information and they built it on the back of advertising. Their dollars come in from advertising. So uh, just thinking through, your business solutions and how that how that works. With that, you're giving up a lot of privacy. We talked we talked about that. So I just just basic critical thinking and problem solving. You know, you have a you have a a, a problem. I, I see a problem that the uh, uh, this wholesale this idea where you can still control the equipment that goes into your data center. You can still have, have be a company. You can have complete control of that. But in order to uh, to do that, you have to uproot the data center to another city. If you're in a if you're in a secondary market, if you're in you know anything but the big five or six cities that have a have a wholesale presence, or the economics remain where you might still build the uh, build the data center yourself, just because you're going to have to pay so much to uh, to lease it that you may as well own the assets, just depending on the uh, the capital structure of your uh, of your company. But I think the biggest thing is just being open minded to uh, to new ideas. And uh, thinking through whether the way you're solving a problem today is uh, is the smartest way to do it, and uh, 
you know, one of the things I guess Mark Zuckerberg said he was looking for with people is they would, they would bring folks in. He wanted them to break things and then uh, rebuild them. So just because something is, is working, it's getting the job done. It's not necessarily working in the most uh, efficient way. And we need to be efficient. I mean, we need to be, our resources are, we use a lot of resources uh, in, in this to, to collect. And, you know, I ask uh, Alexa what time it is. You know, I don't know what kind of resources I, I use when I do that, but I think they're probably a lot more than if I just looked at my watch. So we have to be very uh, efficient. You've got to put humanity first. Now, David, I don't want to do a study on you asking Alexa what time it is and how much of a carbon emission uh, footprint increase that potentially is. Well, you should right. probably just look at the sun and, and know where that is. That's how they used to do it. Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is important, and what you say, I mean, you've, you've, have, you've had a unique pathway to where you live because you've been able to kind of transition from a more traditional business into the data center world. And I think one of the things that tends to maybe frustrate is the wrong word, but you know, kind of freeze people uh, when they're when they're thinking of a transition to the data center world is that it's it's too technical. And at the end of the day, the same thing that's running, like whatever is happening on the back end of Alexa, whatever's running the public cloud, whatever's in a data center is still based on the same underlying infrastructure that has been around since the Industrial Revolution. You know, it's copper touching copper, it's glass touching glass, it's large air-conditioned rooms, and, and yes, you can get into technical details about large-scale, you know, software-defined networking and AI and all those things, but essentially that's just obfuscation layers away from a cup and a string connecting two different, uh, con connecting two different things and establishing communications past it. And if you get past that underlying kind of fear that there's something uber technical about what goes on in a data center and that it is not necessarily relevant to someone that isn't like a computer geek or a programmer or, or whatever, then you start to recognize that just that problem solving gene, when, I, when people ask me what I do, um, you know, I, after trying to explain to them, you know, I'm a landlord, but my tenants are computers. After trying to go through all those different weird things, I just say, I solve problems all day, which makes me sound like a hitman. But it's <laughs> like the, the geekiest way to solve problems in the world. But that's it. You know, you have a hot spot and you have heat, you have to introduce cold air. And now you have heat that's dissipating and then you put a box around it and you contain it and, and all those things. A lot of the underlying things that run the most technically complex applications on the world are incredibly low tech when, when you think about it. And the same problems people are solving in their daily lives are the same problems that people like yourselves are solving, you know, in a, in a larger way in, in the data center world. Yeah, makes sense. So COVID is transforming your lives. How has that impacted you and, and uh, your business? Well, it hasn't impacted me tremendously because I've I live in uh, Nebraska. My partner lives in New York. We're building our data center in Nashville. We work from home, you know, so this is not a, a new thing to me. It's uh, in terms of my life. I do like to get outside a bit and here in Nebraska, we're able to, we're able to do that really. It's not, and I think you're, you certainly can in, in Hawaii, you know, as well. Uh, one of the things I've, I've spent a lot of time, I've probably spent a lot more time thinking of uh, statistics and, uh, and looking at the uh, the graphs of the different cases and and so on in different different places, just to see how how this is uh, rolling out. So that's become more of a 
more of an interest. So it already was a, a big interest, but some probably spending a lot of time looking at that. Uh, I don't like to listen to other people describe to me what's going on with the with the data. I'd rather just look at the raw data, and draw my own conclusions, and so I'm spend a little time looking at, at that. I uh, business wise. We're on track to build our data center. We're, we, we just finished our, this, all the site preparation and we were slowed down because of rain in, in Nashville. You just can't, you can't move dirt and you can't do the things that, that you need to when it's uh, raining heavily every three days. So no restrictions as it entails through from the government perspective that you can't have more than 10 people on a job site. The state of Tennessee has deemed construction and as, a, as an essential service. So we can have more than 10 people on a job site. They need to maintain social distancing. And I'm not just talking about Archer data centers here. I'm talking about all of us. We can all speculate what's going to happen as companies reopen. We, we can speculate on how many customers are even going to want to go out when they can go out to places where there's uh, more than 10 people in a close area. You would just have to see. So what happens if uh, someone on our construction site contracts the, the disease? That's uh, That would shut us down. We know that would shut us down. That would slow us down for, uh, for a minute, for an amount of time. Social distancing, I believe, is going to be the norm of the future. We've got to change the way we do things in business. And it's a great opportunity to leverage technology. It's a great opportunity to think differently starting now. And I also believe that COVID-19, it's not a matter of if we're going to get it. We're all going to get it. It's a matter of when. That's what so, my wife says, and she's a nurse, so she, does, she agrees with you there. So. Oh, good. What do you think is the new norm um, in, in your line of work, in your, in your business, uh, as post-COVID-19? Well, I do think that... Uh, there will be more more things. There will at least have to have the, the ability to scale up if we need to. We will go back into, uh, you know, into the fall. It's, if this follows the track of any other coronaviruses in the past, there will be another outbreak. It, it'll just, it'll have to happen. That's the case. We will not have a vaccine in place by that time. We may have treatments, so we'll, we'll see. But there'll, uh, there'll be the need for companies to, uh, to do more things on a virtual basis, like things like what we're doing right now, having this you know, podcast or dinner on a Zoom video. And it's, uh, you know, Zoom was ready for this. I mean, they had some issues apparently, so I have to have to take my hat off to, to those guys and to the just the networks that were built around to make them work with them. So I think the sheer need to do, to do more things uh, virtually will be, uh, overall will be a, a positive thing for, for the data center industry and for cloud computing and for companies that need to connect to that cloud and, and continue to manage their, uh, their day-to-day affairs uh, without being restricted to an, an office. I think some of the companies that now they're, that have kind of through, been forced to work from home in this case are seeing, hey, this is not a bad, a bad deal. Uh, why, why am I paying for all this office space? I mean, I'm hearing that from you know couple couple companies here did extremely well with with their employees working at home or Nelnet and uh, Mutual of Omaha, and these were primarily large call centers. They were taking calls from from all over, and they can with technology they can do that just as fec- just as effectively from their their homes. So for for states like Nebraska that are you know have have smaller uh, populations, that this could be a good thing for people that want to continue to stay in Nebraska, you know, kids coming out of school or what have you, they want to, 
want to work for, for companies that say they have a, their headquarters or what have you is in Chicago or in Denver, or, which is typically where Nebraska loses, uh, loses folks. As we free our minds a little on working more in this way, We'll, we'll be using more data, but think of the resources we're cutting down in terms of uh, commuting to to work. A lot of the travel, a lot of the the key thing here is uncertainty. We just don't we don't know. For doing, I tried that. to find I tried to find swim routes for me to be able to get to Kona to visit uh, Nabil, and you know I've I've tried to work on my uh, my ability to hold my breath in the bathtub. It's just not it's not, <laughs> not working out as quickly as well as I thought. Uh, while, while we, you know, while we're talking about you know COVID nineteen and the data center, um, I mean, right now you're in a you're in an incredibly early stage, so it's difficult to really get an assessment of you know how it's impacting customers because there are no customers to to impact at this point. But as you get towards the later stages of of construction, you have to think about you know now you're getting you know the 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 equipment in and and the cooling towers and and the UPSs and, and all that stuff. Do you think that? And I guess uncertainty is key, so we don't really know. But do you think that there's going to be a supply chain issue in Absolutely. terms of, of delays on, on any of that equipment? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubts about it. Because the uh, you know there's a supply chain crunch right now. I mean, there are uh, these factories where generators were uh, were ordered and where they were being made. A lot of those are in China, mm-hmm. and they're closed, and so generators aren't being made. So when things do start to uh, to free up, that's another leading indicator that I'm that I'm looking at is I'm looking to see what's happening in places where where the where the first wave of the virus has, has come and gone, and just to see how how they do as they get back to uh, back to work. But that's going to put a tremendous crunch on our on our uh, on our supply chain because all those orders that were already in, in there are in in place. That kind of the dominance by the. Uh, uh, you know, five or six companies. I don't. I don't have any stats on this, but I'm guessing five or six companies buy most of the generators in the world. Right. Uh, so they're going to get theirs first. Uh, sure. So that's. Uh, and does that does that change how? I mean, has that, all that stuff been procured? Has that changed any any procurement uh, timelines in, in your end, where you're going to try to get orders in more quickly than maybe you would have otherwise wanted to move? It, it may. I mean, we're we're taking our we're taking a very conservative approach to our to our build. We're building a a cold dark shell right now is what we're is what we're building. We um, we don't we intentionally don't want to design a a one solution fits all. There's plenty of that available uh, out there now for for folks that just want a certain certain solution. We're so we're trying to maintain as much flexibility within our design. And obviously, you can't start ordering equipment until you until you have your design tied down. Of course. Our first customer will have a lot to do with, uh, with how, we, how we fit out. Now, ideally, we get that customer before we need to uh, spec out data center space, but uh, that may not happen. That's a probability that we need to, to look at. So I think where we would go with this is perhaps not, not buying the, the, uh, the size and scale of, of equipment. You know, there's a certain size of generator, for example, that's the, the most popular that the, that the large scale data centers would be, would be using. We may look at something that's not as, uh, not as popular and perhaps not as uh, economically attractive in the incremental phase as to, you know, you may buy three, gener- three smaller generators instead of two larger generators. Sure. That so way you to hit your N plus one. Yeah, right. so you're not hitting the items that are, that are hit so hard on the supply chain. So that may, it may change our, our design. We all, we've always felt these secondary markets are underserved. And so the idea of putting, putting some inventory 
out there. We want to get that going as, as, as fast as we can. And we can scale later at the, at the better increments after things right. have calmed down a bit. It's always a balance between trying to, you know, do exactly. the field of dreams model of build it, they will come. And, right. you know, having somebody walk around a, a site for deployment with a hard hat. So, uh, and uh, I totally get that. Uh, last question on, on the data center deployment. So that's construction. So that's going to be defined in, in some respects by, you know, what the specs are. Have you changed what you think the type of customer that's going to be attracted to the site will be based on, you know, COVID-19 and, and where you've seen growth? I mean, you mentioned Zoom as, as a potential customer. Are you looking for a particular type of customer? Is it a public cloud provider? Is it potentially a large-scale enterprise? And has that changed at all? Yeah, I think it's uh, our target right now would be this uh, this on-premises. That, that, that ConAgra example is a perfect example. A company that had a that had a larger demand, it scaled down. That 250 kW tenant is probably where our, our sweet spot would be. And that creates a, that creates a nice valuable asset, improves a market, as opposed to say, if you leased everything to one, one data center. I, I have concerns about some data centers that were built for say a, a hyperscaler. One, there's, there's a 20 megawatt data center in Omaha, for, for example that uh, should that that company move move their data somewhere else you know that they decided they didn't need that 20 megawatt data center then that asset becomes a a warehouse like it was before it became a data center so it has all this power to it but there's not a there's no demand you know in this in this market for that particular you know size so it's scary to put all your eggs in one basket for a for a single tenant like that for for the long haul because you know if you look at what Many of the big guys are doing. They're they're building out these huge campuses, and eventually that'll be where they're, uh, where all the heavy lifting is uh, is done, where the storage is 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 done. It'll be on their own data centers and, and using their own infrastructure. They 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 own the complete supply chain. You know, in that case, they have their own fiber. They have, uh, you know, relationships with multiple electrical suppliers in in many cases, and they're starting to slow down now. I saw an article where one one of them is starting to slow down a bit. Um, this is slowing down construction. We just talked about what effect it's having on their on the supply chains, but the idea of making a big lease to a uh, hyperscaler to fill the gap for a short time is not attractive in building a building a business. Well, it's so it's for any business, right? Exactly. Yeah, we go for any 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 business. So uh, I was always concerned, even when our, in our asset management business, when we look at our. You know, we'd say five companies make up eighty percent of our business. You know, that's a scary place to uh, scary place to be. So, I think if anything, it, one thing that could could change would be this: uh, the the people in the data center and and working. You might see more lights out type thing because that's the thing from talking to a lot of my friends that that they are seeing a restriction of just the number of people in the in the data center, in and out of the data center. And I think cutting down on the number of people in and out of the data center has a lot of positive uh, m- m- you know, effects, it, security being right up there, you know, with them, just the sheer, sheer need of having, you know, two different people. So we may see that we do migrate more towards services. Uh, it could be simple services initially. And I am seeing that many of the customers I'm talking to, they're looking to go to, you know, you have two different, two different approaches, you know, on this. Some, some want to keep control of a lot of things, and by control, have their people you know, in the, in the data. So others are just wanting to wash their hands of the whole, the whole business and, and have all of their service managers managed by someone else, either in a public cloud or, 
managed services. So again, I go back to that size for each market. I think there's a right size. It's a math problem that Nabil could solve for us, perhaps on what that right optimization is for each market, what, what is needed. And I don't think it'll be exceeded. So I even think with the major markets right now, you know, they have, they have all of the supply, but what happens when the, when the, the five or six companies that control the cloud, you know, have 80, 80% of the, of the, uh, of data, what what happened? Then then that could scale back to where those cities only serve what's needed for for that city, and not to just pick up the pick up the slack until the hyperscalers have their own campuses built out. So David, you mentioned work from home, work from anywhere. That's yeah. the future norm. There has been a major shift from retail to e-tail. Uh, looking into the future, a lot of real estate is going to become available. Not a lot of people are going to go back in these commercial offices or the real estate that was basically designed for retail is going to become available. Uh, what do you predict as far as the future is concerned? Will there be a continuous build of new environments or will we see some uh, TI, the tenant improvement, by leveraging some of the real estate that's going to come available in the next three to five years? Well, I think you get a little bit of my pay grade, you know, on, on that in terms of uh, predicting what's going to happen with uh, this office space. That's not a, I mean, it's designed for office space. It could be, uh, you know, who, who knows? It's just a very uncertain thing. I, my crystal ball is not that clear on what that uh, is going to look like. But I do believe there's going to be, I think the economics is what I'm, a, what I'm afraid of with that. It's just the, uh, the economy, you know, the markets. And again, this, I'll probably get out, out of my depth a little on, on this, but I see the markets reacting very emotionally. What I'm concerned with are these underlying economic facts like this, like you're going to have a lot of real estate that's going to be underutilized. You're going to have an oversupply. I don't have a good prediction. What do you think? What's going to happen with, what do you think is going to go into, into some of that office space? So I believe a digital transformation and a quick move, this is kind of like that hockey stick effect that I keep talking about. If it wasn't for COVID-19, we probably would have taken another five years transition into a major cultural change. And the concept before was that uh, a bum in the seat from an old guard's perspective was very productive, whereby now you can do the same thing remotely. So, you know, work from home, work from anywhere is the is, is a new lifestyle. And you reiterated that earlier. Uh, I believe there's going to be ample real estate that's going to come available, uh, particularly with its commercial buildings. And simply looking from a mathematical perspective, I believe that land, that infrastructure is going to be sold, you know, for pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And a lot of real estate development firms are going to come in and improve that to build in data centers of some sort, whether it be edge sites, whether it be the last mile, whether it be just infrastructure for to serve the regional markets, probably is going to be a much better plan utilizing existing build outs. And it's, it's a significant cost savings as well. Why invest a significant amount of money in building something from scratch when something already exists? So I think that the real estate play is potentially going to change in the future. We need to leverage what's already existing. In, let me let me see if let me, let me see if I can um, uh, get your thought, both of your thoughts on on this idea. I think that there's going to be a change in the way. Uh, typical organizations view, um, you know, what they are looking for from an office environment. So I, obviously there are a bunch of traditional companies that maybe were reticent to um, embrace uh, work from home or remote work infrastructure. And, and the trend was moving in that direction anyway, uh, particularly with technical you know, types of, of companies and, and having to leverage talent 
wherever the talent is and not necessarily requiring them to move. Um, and this certainly accelerated some of those existing trends. But in terms of, you know, it's nice to have maybe a centralized place where, where people can congregate, maybe not on a daily basis or weekly basis or even monthly basis. But I think that there's you know, a potential shift in the way commercial real estate is looked at by companies that are leveraging uh, office environments, where it becomes more of kind of a communal, almost conference feeling to it, where people just come to that office for uh, a monthly or quarterly meeting or different teams are meeting at different places. And you're, you're maintaining that office in such a way where it gone are the cubicles and, and the offices and it's just more kind of almost in New York, we, there are this, this like convened space that is sometimes used mm-hmm. for, uh, for conferences that I'm sure we've all, we've all been to in the past. So I, I get the sense that you'll see, you know, people leveraging uh, office environments for that. What do you think? You think that's a, that's a possibility? I do. I mean, that makes sense. That's a, uh, it's the idea of a, uh, you know, the convened space versus the, so I think we've, we've seen this open office space kind of come and go and, and fail in some ways and different companies that thought that was the you know greatest thing in the world are now finding that it's a, it's very distracting to, uh, you know, especially knowledge workers, someone that needs to kind of focus on, on something and to have people around you and have that, all that social interaction that takes place in some of the open type places. But what you're describing is a different use. Use It's for people, it's for a lot of these freelancers, you know, people that are out there that wouldn't normally rent a, uh, a typical small office, you know, in a big building, but they'd rather be in a case where they could come in when they want to, you know, with, uh, with groups of folks to uh, collaborate, you know, with. So I can see that. And I think this, uh, the drop in prices that you would see from that, I mean, if this, happens obviously we're looking at enables that some ways because some of the biggest drawbacks to uh you have a an old piece of property but it's still bringing in income you know it still it still makes sense with the numbers for as a piece of real estate our carrier hotel here in nebraska it's owned owned now by uh, nebraska data centers and they had an old office building downtown omaha it serves as the telecom hotel maybe up there 50 or so different carriers come into that place now well part of the the drawback on being able to improve that building was that it was owned by this trust, a Hollywood family trust, and uh, it was still generating income from from small law firms and a few few holdouts on several floors. Well, now they they don't have that. They're able to build out the entire building as data center space, and uh, it's a perfect example of how the edge plays out because, as I mentioned earlier, Omaha has become a a a, a, a a hub for, you know, the, the major hyperscalers. Well, these guys still need to interconnect. Um, and uh, that's created great opportunity for that carrier hotel. And this was a case where infrastructure was able to replace what was old dated. Uh, I think the type of office spaces you're describing that I've seen all over New York, federal spaces, whatever. I mean, there's buildings that were designed with the way we worked, <laughs> you know, 40, 50 years ago, you know, in some, some place, cases. Uh, and so uh, these things could be monitored. Back to your point on, on the tenant improvements, Nabil, you know, this will open the door as the value, you know, goes down when the companies don't need them just for their, their big, big, uh, you know, call center type things. And in, in the most expensive places in the world, think of what companies are paying. I mean, gosh, for what, what the companies here in Omaha are, are paying for, uh, leasing a small amount of space compared to what they would be paying in New York 
you know, having someone having to be able to lose that expense is going to have great economic benefit to many of those companies. I've earned this hairline. <laughs> David, you touched on a lot of things. We talked about data centers. We talked about edge at a very high level. We talked about computing. We talked about the change in culture dynamics. We talked about working from anywhere, working from home being the new norm. As it entails to the future of tech, what excites you? What are, what are some of the things that you're looking at today? Uh, both for personal and for professional uh, interests? You know, I'm looking forward to how this is uh, forcing people to use the tech that's out there now. I mean, it's it's great that there are a lot, lot of new things that are on the on the horizon, but simple things like collaborating on spreadsheets or documents. I mean, it's hard to take people away from what they're accustomed, accustomed to. And state organizations and many organizations I've been involved with, the technology has been there to collaborate, to do things like we're doing now, you know, really with, with this. And we, we could be scared sharing a screen. We could do, you know, anything. I just think this is going to now speed things up a bit because we need to do things more virtually and customers will they'll lose that fear of it. Just like I, I spoke to you about the uh, fear the executives had of just technology in general in, in the early days of my career. I mean, when you would talk to these guys about trying to change the way they did things for many, many years, the way throughout their whole career, they thrived in this. There was a lot of fear, you know, in that. And this is uh, helping people out of necessity lose some of that fear. So I'm excited to see people just use some of the technologies that we that we have. Exciting times. Yeah. A lot of good things are going to come out of COVID-19. I think we need to retain and retain a positive attitude on a go-forward basis. I think we need to think more as humans, as we develop technology and introduce technology, we need to be more concerned about uh, such as security, invasion of privacy, for instance, would be a few things. And, you know, potentially just leverage common sense. That makes sense. One thing that comes to mind on that is we're, we're obviously dropping a lot of regulation right now in, the, in healthcare. You know, it all comes down to how, this, uh, how, how technology is, is used. I, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable in some cases, you know, sharing personal information. In some cases, I'm very uncomfortable. That's, uh, we're, 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 in a, we're kind of in a, a test lab. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.